So this uh, is our last meeting um, this year. Uh, we, I will continue in February. So is there any urgent questions <laughs> about anything? <laughs> mm. is, is that your question? No, I Everything is meaningless. But uh, it's wonderful, it's freedom, it's love, but it's meaningless. How, how is it love? I have no idea. But it's a good question, I think it's worth to burn for that question. And uh, part of that burning is, uh, and living with that question, is to find provisional meanings, but then at one point probably, so that kind of meanings, they are important, so but we start to see that they are made up, that they are conceptual. So when I say things are meaningless, uh, I'm, what I want to say is that meaning is a function of the conceptual mind. We are called for giving meaning. It's, it, we, we give it. We live in a meaningless, this is meaningless. Nothing means anything from there. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, as they say. Beauty is not. These things are neither beautiful nor ugly. It's we, we witnessing which makes it into that which it, which it is for us. And somehow in the, in the looking through that, you know, not giving up the meaning, but holding it lightly in that openness, in, the, in that relaxation, there is something which you could call love. That one's actually like super profound. I mean, you didn't quite well answer, I think. <laughs> it's meaningless, but we give it meaning, and that is. Yeah, and and uh, when I say everything is meaningless, I don't I don't denigrate maps of meaning. Maps of meaning are important for us, and uh, and there's so many beautiful maps of meaning. So what's the map of meaning you are navigating to this mystery, and is it a empowering map? Is it a a map full of wonderment and mystery, and also a map where there's a lot of space of not knowing. Mm. 
or is it a very a map which is formed by your traumas, by what happens happened in your psychological history, a map which is formed by narrow-minded uh, rules in your upbringing, uh, is your map formed by your parents? And is there room for growth, for fun, for play, for lightness in your map? And then uh, some people are beautifully able to be flexible in their maps. You know, they can. You know, the, the, it's like oh, this this freedom of of having different kinds of maps uh, and being able to communicate better with other people who have a different map. You, know, you understand maps, and you. But, but you don't, you stop seeking for the one true map. So that question, you know, like as a self-inquiry question, so what is the meaning? What is the meaning of all of this? It's such a wow. I mean, if you burn for that question, if you let yourself be guided by that question, it's such a beautiful journey of discovery. What, are, what I'm here for? What is this all about? It's a beautiful question into the, into the unknown. but holding them lightly and playfully with humor and, and recognizing, I've said that, I mean, it's almost, almost a platitude, but I say it again, the map is not the territory. It can't be. Every map is false. It's partial. But there's really stupid maps which create a lot of suffering, and there's maps who are self-empowering, joyful maps. Is there a question online? There's just a lot of people asking for the recording this evening's session, and yeah. if you will upload it to SoundCloud. I, I recorded it by okay. chance. Great. Somehow it happened. <laughs> And uh, it might end up on my song club profile. Yeah, so is there any other? Otherwise, I can just continue with that one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you talked a bit earlier sessions about the Nojo. Yeah. So, can, uh, can you talk a bit about turning? Adversity into a path or practice. Isn't that something that's in the in, in similar words? Hmm. How we can use, you know, adversity, hmm. disease, for example. Yeah. Yes. On? 
So Lo Jong. Lo attitude, the relationship. So it's it's about what I talked. What's my relationship to what is happening in my life? And Jong means transformation or training. So you start to see that um, it's not about what is happening, it's how I relate to it. And how can I relate to it that what is happening is not being made into a problem or uh, something which shouldn't happen, which means suffering and struggle. And uh, looking at it from a different perspective and when one can start on a conceptual level, on a story level, on the meaning-giving level. So what what do you make out of it? I remember when I came across that idea the first time and that was in the writings of Jean-Paul Sartre which I was reading when I was 15 or 16. And in, in one of his books, he says, we are damned to be free. We are, we are even free in terms of our past. And he said, so it's not about changing your past, but changing your relationship to the past, the meaning you give to the past. So that's the freedom we are we have. It's, it's, an amazing, it's, an, it's an amazing shift. It's the stories we tell ourselves, the labels we give, the judgments we put onto things. So Lojong is the exploration. So, so this is what is happening, this sensation, this, this sickness, this loss, someone attacking me. But then taking responsibility for how we respond to it, what we do with it, how we relate to that. And uh, like a practical, uh, like a technique where this is, uh, where the Lojong idea is practiced, is the practice of Tonglen, the giving and taking. And like one shift through the practice of Tonglen happens through the simple insight, I'm not alone with this, whatever it is. Let's say you, you have a terminal illness. So I'm not alone with this. This, this has happened even in the line of my ancestors hundreds and thousands of time, and it's happening right now. So, and then noticing and if that opens a different possibility, that suddenly there is some softness, some kindness, some compassion towards yourself and others. So then the sickness, instead of being something which you struggle with, which shouldn't happen, which is insanity, because it's happening. It's insanity to want it to be different, because it is what it is. So then that, which 
is something which shouldn't happen suddenly becomes a stepping stone in to, towards kindness, towards compassion, towards openness, feeling connected. So instead of going like this, oh, how about me and what about me and why is this happening to me and poor me? Oh, I'm not alone with this. This is actually not personal. This is my participation in, in the human experience. And I can have the intention to relate to that in, in, in a loving way. So anything which happens, the pleasant and the unpleasant, are opportunities for us to wake up. If we go more into the direction of the meditation we just did, so then also, so there is that experience, and it's always a good way to go into the felt sense in your body. And then noticing the non-static nature, and then using that opportunity to ask yourself, am I this sickness? I'm aware of it, I am experiencing it, what, but what is that which is experiencing? Then no matter, no matter what you're aware of, the good and the ugly and the beautiful, both equally become an, op- are an opportunity to shift your sense of identity in that which is bigger than what is happening. In the Tibetan tradition, bringing the idea of karma and healing into this. So from the Buddhist point of view, whatever is happening in, in our life, is a, a feedback in the sense it shows you where there is room for growth and where there is where is where there is necessi- necessity for healing. So every adverse circumstances are seen as a as an opportunity to, to heal, to grow, to heal that, which is happening because because we have, at one point in this eternal journey of the stream of consciousness, created the conditions for that to happen. But of course, for that kind of lojong practice to be meaningful for you, you need to have make a kind of a leap of faith into, into the stream of consciousness and infinity and, uh, and so on. So, so it depends. You know? So it needs to also fit your belief systems, the, the, the kind of lojong practice which is 
which is working for you. You want to continue with your question? No. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, how can you relate to what is happening in a way that liberates you? Instead of relating to what is happening in a way that imprisons you? And, and the answer to that question, how can I relate to this? Is 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 different for 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 different people, dependent on their belief systems. Yeah. Yes. Um, <clears throat> I'll try to speak up. So let me know if it's too low. Um, so. In these last months, you haven't really talked. I can't remember when I, at least when I've been here, that you've used the word wisdom, but there was one point where you were actually focused on that, or at least talked about from that concept, because mm. it's like one of two important things. And um, so, my question is so I'm kind of like drawn to it. So like, what there is some wisdom in, incorporated in what you're explaining right now or in what you've been going through. So so I'm wondering if there is some way where you can like kind of like take that perspective or take that word and say something about like, yeah, to give some advice on how to like lead that or become better or more disciplined in in that that aspect. From the wisdom aspect. Yeah, so when when uh, when we talk about wisdom uh, in the in the Buddhist tradition, we are talking about a very particular wisdom, and it is the wisdom of um, the wisdom of seeing things as they are, as they exist. So it's the wisdom of seeing emptiness, that everything is empty of inherent nature, which is another way to say it's seeing interbeing. It's, yeah? so, so it's seeing that things don't exist separately from each other as having a core and having meaning from their own side. They are empty of that. They don't exist in that way. So, so that's wisdom. So the, the, in, the, in the first kind of part of, of, um, of the meditation, I talked about uh, anatta, the insight into anatta. So that would be one of the wisdom aspects, the, ex- the, the insight into no-self. And then uh, the, the other part in this meditation of turning to that which is aware, that's another part of wisdom. And they actually, both of them, they, 
they go, they, they lead into the experience of non-duality. And, and non the experience of non-duality, and it's even strange to say the experience of non-duality, yeah, but because you know, we, we never will know what non-duality is, and it's not an experience, and there's nobody experiencing it. But anyway, the experience of non-duality. So that's the wisdom, the experience of no-self and the experience of non-duality. Wisdom is seeing things as they are. And then there is this kind of wisdom like, yeah, I'm not alone with this. Yeah. So that's also a wisdom, but it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, I don't know, a, a relative wisdom. Or when we talk about the two wings of awakening, wisdom and love, the wisdom wing is seeing reality as it is. Uh, it's something which might start with the intellect. And in the different uh, Buddhist tradition, they, they have different maps for that. So like in the Geluk tradition of His Holiness the Dalai Lama, they, they would say to have a direct experience of wisdom, you need to have first a correct philosophical understanding. So you study. Yeah? You study emptiness, you study dependent arising, you study, uh, you, so you go through the analytical process and you use initially the analytical capacity of your mind. Yeah? But then also they say the experience, the direct of experience is non-conceptual. And some other traditions, like in the Zen tradition, they don't, they don't, uh, they just put you in front of a wall and, you know, and say, just sit there, yeah? And then, and then a possibility might rise, arise. We don't know when. And in, in the Tibetan tradition, the, there's a minority which would say, actually, trying to understand the undescribable, the ungraspable with the analytical mind is rather an obstacle. So there is a debate, yeah? even just within the Tibetan tradition, there is the debate. But the majority in the Tibetan tradition, they would emphasize you have to use your thinking to go beyond thinking. And you can, you can, uh, you know, if you are drawn to, and if you enjoy the rational approach, the philosophical approach, uh, then it's good to go there. And, uh, and just understanding emptiness on a, what, what, in dependent arising on a, on a conceptual level, uh, gives some, can give some freedom, some relief, yeah? It's, it's, uh, yeah. So it's not, it's not that it just stays in the head and you just, you know, say the words, but it can lead into, into some lightness. You, know, you travel lighter. You you take things less serious. Yeah. But you have to remember that the experience, which that conceptual understanding is supposed to lead to, is non-conceptual. It's not knowing.
were talking about the emptiness uh, well in the beginning about the meaningful of being and then emptiness and then non-duality and then mm-hmm. self mm-hmm. How, how does it because like it's just me because like when, when you say meaning it means that uh, that you are somehow special if you know what I mean like that because like we are not we are product of our parents, of their circumstances, and so on. Where we were born, which mm. or poor, and so on. Um, and then you say that there is a meaning for every person. Is that what you say? There is a meaning for. So, one way to describe what emptiness is is to say that nothing has any meaning from its own side. So empty here means, so when we, when we talk about emptiness, we need to start to understand empty of what? Yeah, so like this cup is empty. That's not the emptiness uh, we are talking about here, uh, we are talking about that this is what it is for us through our labeling, through our making it into what it is. Yeah? So it's empty of being a cup. Yeah? It can be, it can be a, you know, a hat, it can be, it can be like a, a, a yoga prop. Yeah? So if yeah, so next time we are we are we are all handing out cups because you have to sit like this in this room, yeah, because it's it makes something with your subtle energy body, yeah, uh, or it can be. So that's that, that, this this is empty of being something from its own side, but. But, but what we, we have this tendency to believe that this is to be used like this and it's very holy and very special. And if I tell you now only the teacher can touch it and, you know, and in the end we have to put a cloth above it and only two people in this room where, which I have to initiate, they can move it to another place. And then people take that serious. And, and it's like, it's like, uh, and there can be fear and guilt and, wow, I, I touched the holy cup of the teacher and I was not supposed, I, I'm, go, I'm going to hell. Yeah? <laughs> and, and we don't see, it's all made up. That's what you mean like, by putting a meaning into it? You mean, that's what you mean, like putting a meaning into objects or things? Or yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's right. There's a question in yeah. the chat from Suzanne. It was in relation to the discussion about wisdom, and if you can talk about the wise relation to synchronicity and coincidence. The wise relation to... It's all made up? It's empty? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> so, 
so now if you are if you, if you have invested into the specialness of synchronicity you know and you feel like wow there's synchronicity in my life it's a sign that i'm so spiritual and that i'm on the right path then then you should be slightly offended when i say it doesn't matter and if you feel offended that's a sign you have invested into the map too much yeah you get you get defensive if someone else says this is bullshit yeah because i'm right it's like i can use i can read carl jung about synchronicity and have this whole idea of what it means and psychologically spiritually and uh, and that's fine it's beautiful it's it's wonderful uh, but we have to watch out as buddhist practitioner for becoming fundamentalists yeah to make it into something something more than meaning which we give and then some people who who don't see that they are not spiritual or something like that they are stupid you know people who say yeah it's all it's all happening by chance yeah and we feel yeah but that's a quite a stupid map because it is like that it is it is like that it is like jung describes it so we become very humble yeah and uh and still if you enjoy that and it's empowering and it makes you a better person and yeah then it's a fantastic thing you know to contemplate synchronicity and and it is the experience of people who are in shifts in an opening in their lives that uh are that that kind of that the world starts to speak more to you on the on a symbolic level but then you also then you recognize the story you tell about that symbolic level and what it means that's something you do it's not in the thing it's not in the event with the synchronous synchronicity i i what i what i appreciate there is it it increases a sense of wonderment a sense of mystery and a sense that maybe this other map we use of time of a timeline yeah that that we are beings in a like separate beings living in a timeline of yesterday today and tomorrow and that what is happening now is caused what by what is happening what, what happened in the past <coughs> that that is also just another map how is it really how is it really from a buddhist point of view at least from the view which is seen as the most profound in the tibetan tradition this 
Prasankhya Madhyamika Middleway School, what they would say to that question, what is really there? How is it really? They would say, there's nothing like really. There's, there's nothing there. There's just maps. There's just perspectives. There's nothing findable there. Neither consciousness, nor awareness, nor energy, nor atoms. It's, if you investigate into that, if you try to find it as something which exists out there objectively, you never come up with something. You just find concepts upon concepts upon concepts. It's frightening. Because, uh, I mean, it's frightening and completely liberating. But the frightening part is that the narrative self likes to imagine it knows this is how it is. And then if that starts to disintegrate, it's like death. I love synchronicity. I just love it. Like every bird. It's not just a bird, you know. (laughs) It's a messenger. Every song, everything that happens has meaning, symbolic meaning. It's like a dream. I mean, you can also just, you know, know, not being interested in the dream, but dreams are so rich, so full of possibility of meaning and exploration and wonder. There is a dream. There's nothing behind it. Yes? Could you, in two minutes less, uh, maybe... I'm curious to hear what you think on the subject of reincarnation, because uh, from my point of view, it's more like a philosophical metaphor. But then you have a lot of other people who are like, yeah, you're just curious what your father on that. So, I mean, I could now repeat what I just said, yeah? So, it's a map. It's, yeah? What uh, mostly happens, uh, unless I kind of, through, uh, through my teachings, when I teach somewhere in a Buddhist center and the topic is karma and reincarnation, so then I use that map. Yeah? So, and I like it. It's, it's fun. It's beautiful. It's, uh, for me, it's empowering. And, but while I'm doing it, I'm aware this is not how it is. It's partial. It's a skillful means of the Buddha. Yeah. Uh, it's a map. 
So, but what happens most for, for me personally, when, when someone asks me about reincarnation, the first thing which happens in me is the question, who is here who could be reincarnated? And I can't, I can't find the one who's going to be reincarnated. So I have to say, there is no reincarnation. Because there's nothing here which could, which could be reincarnated. There's, there, there's, nothing, there's nothing here which, which was born. So there's nothing here which could die, and there's nothing here which could be reincarnated. Yeah. And then there's openness, and somehow, somehow there's a next moment, and a next, and a next, and there's nobody here experiencing it, and there's a next. And it's obvious that that never stops. When this body dies, and there's nobody in it, so then this body dies, but there's the next. It's not experienced by me, but it is experienced. Obviously, what I just said is also just a bunch of stories. <laughs> People who need to check if I say there is reincarnation or not, because I'm supposed to hold the view of reincarnation as a Buddhist teacher, and you feel offended by it, yeah? That's wonderful, because it shows that you have you, you have left the house of the Buddhists <laughs> into the house of the fundamentalists. Uh, and uh, in myself, it seems to be a conflict. There is no conflict in me. Yeah. I mean, if I now, if I now for the next 10 minutes, I, I would be a kind of what would be appropriate to talk about the four laws of karma and what is being reincarnated. No problem. It's beautiful. I can do it. And there's not even like a, it, there used to be a, a bit of tension in me, yeah? like trying to bring this paradox together or something like that. No, I can just jump into the map and it's, it's wonderful. But I don't feel offended by someone like Stephen Batchelor who writes books about how this is all a myth and how it's confused Buddhism and that's not what the Buddha taught. I love his books. And I don't feel offended by it. It doesn't scare me. Yeah, but Stephen Batchelor, you know, some people they say Stephen Batchelor is not a Buddhist. 
stay away, he's a heretic. Yeah. I mean, some people say that about Tichnatan because he also kind of let, let go a bit about that kind of idea that there is something, you know, jumping from day to day and from life to life and, you know, we have to prepare for the future lives and, and, and what is happening now is from coming from the past lives. So he also kind of let go of this idea. So some people would say he's not a Buddhist. <laughs>